we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We're back again, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. A pretty full crew on this evening. The room's full, but we're socially distant appropriately because it's a large room, so... Don't call in the paratroopers, please, because <laughs> we've seen them at work in Victoria and they've got a pretty heavy hand. It can be brutal. Mm. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. This is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Joining me, as always, is Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. And Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. And, Hello, gents. And lurking over the mixer and the sound equipment is Joe the Tech Guy, who will... Keep an eye on that so I don't have to. And welcome uh, welcome again, Joe. Evening, everyone. And if Joe suspects that we're talking shite on something, he'll chime in and chip in as well. So, right. Ah, gentlemen. Um, I haven't got it on the list, but, but just the heavy-handedness of police is pretty... Shocking, some of the scenes that we've seen. In like, Victoria, yes. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we spoke last week about the woman who was handcuffed in her pyjamas, mm. like really unnecessary. Totally. And then there was a scene of a guy who was uh, um, some sort of mental illness yeah. who just stomped on his head. Yeah, that was totally uncalled for, wasn't it? After everything we've seen. He was on the ground yeah. already yep. with a bunch of police on him. Yep. And this one copper takes it upon himself to kick him in the head with his with his boot, well, under yes. his boot, you know. And clearly he'd been running around and giving him a hard time. But, like, you could put you like, when I saw it, I thought, yeah. for sure this guy has a mental illness. He's having an episode. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to have some. <sighs> a little bit of compassion. And he wasn't waving a gun around or an assault rifle. And mm. You know, if you're a Oh, police... but he did hit one of their cars. Don't forget that. Yeah. And if you're a policeman, you should be able oh. to tackle and subdue Wouldn't you think? somebody of an ordinary frame. Like, yeah. you know. It, it gets back to training, doesn't yeah. it? And look, temperament as well. And I, I recall that mm. incident uh, several months ago where a copper mm. in Sydney, mm. um, you know, threw this teenage kid to the, to the ground face first, mm. you know, swept his feet from under him. You remember that one? Yes. This kid was giving yes. the copper yes. some lip, yes. you know, and, and yeah. basically, you know, saying, come on, mate, I'll, I'll have you or whatever. Yeah. The copper walked around and swept his feet from underneath him and slammed him into the ground face first. I mean, if police don't have the temperament to be able to take a little bit of lip from a, you know, a cocky teenager... And just manage it, yeah. you know, in a, in a normal human fashion, yeah. apart from, you know, acting like a thug yeah. human, then they're yeah. in the wrong profession. They're, or, they're, or they need to be sent off for re-education. No, 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 <laughs> no they really need to be in a different <laughs> yes. line of work because yeah. they're dealing with people every day mm. and inevitably they're going to have to deal with people who are uncooperative or even provocative. Yeah. Now, if they don't have the temperament to handle that day after day, year after year, they're in the wrong line they're of work. In the wrong line of work. Yeah. I agree with it's, you. It's quite shocking. But actually, while we're still on that, and again, I didn't put it on the notes, but you know the scene in America where the guy was um, arguing with the police, he was walking away from them, and he opened the door to his own car, and there were kids, his own kids in the back seat, 
and the police shot him seven times. Mm. And we all look at it and we go, that's just terrible. But I was listening to Sam Harris on this one mm. and you know, I've fallen out of love with a lot of commentators over time, but not Sam Harris. I'm still with him. And he said, if you actually look at YouTube videos of police incidents, yeah. the number of times that somebody will reach into their car, turn around and shoot a yeah, policeman exactly. is is too often. Yeah. And so Yeah. So, but there's a difference between squeezing the trigger once and I, squeezing it seven times. I agree, got you I agree with you there. Mm. But it is one of those things where you've got to always put things in context of the culture where you are. Like yeah. clearly that in Australia would have been unacceptable. Totally. Like, totally. But you have to have a modicum of it's a terrible thing to say, but there, more than once and lots of times, somebody will reach into their car, pull out a gun, and boom. And they've got yeah, I know you. that, and, but and the cops are so, also armed with tasers. Yes. They could have yes. shot him with a taser yep. just to yep. get his attention. And I'm not saying it's. A taser it's, won't necessarily stop someone with a gun who's determined to use it, though. No, yeah, I know yeah. that, but you, you, you can tase the bike first. If he still doesn't stop, then you've got time to deploy a lethal weapon. Yeah. You know. Anyway, it just made me stop and think okay, maybe not quite as. Clear cut, like he, it still yeah. seems, it still seems, of course, over the top. But in context of the American experience, it's a crazy place over there. Totally. So, and, um, you know, someone yeah. we both like, Trevor Coleman mm. Hughes, has mm. written about this and mm. and spoken about. It. And he said, look, the the reality is, for a policeman in a city like New York or probably a, a number of other American cities, he said mm. the reality is that um, the you know the the people that they come across that are engaged in criminal activity are very often black people, black men mm. and Hispanic men. And he said the reality for the police is that's always in the back of their mind. And, and he's speaking as a black American guy and he said, you know, he can sort of understand that police are a little bit edgy when they encounter somebody. Yeah, but um, it doesn't even matter whether they're black or white. No, Just the chances doesn't. are of a weapon. Absolutely. Like, so and they a, do get yeah. shot. So in Australia you could say you could let the guy almost drive off. We've got his number plate. We'll go and mm. pick him up in yep. an hour's time from his house. <laughs> But over there, the chances are he could just reach in and shoot you, and that's yeah. happened on a number of occasions. Just puts a different perspective yeah. on it. So, um, and we know a certain number of mm. cops get killed every year in America. Mm. Mm. So anyway, um, glad I don't live there, and I think anybody who has a chance to get out, why wouldn't you? So some friends of ours, their their sister is from Can- has been living in Canada, like married a Canadian guy and got kids and whatever, has decided to pull up stumps, come back to Australia, join their mother in Tasmania. So they flew into Sydney, two weeks quarantine, then flew from Sydney to Tasmania. Two more two weeks. Two weeks quarantine. <laughs> really? Yeah. Four weeks quarantine. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So you've got to be committed if you want to do it. But <laughs> to get out of that country, yeah. I think it'd be worth it. Well, to get out of the States. Canada's a nice place, but, yeah. So um, so anyway, um, just quickly on Victoria, um, the numbers are coming down. So, I think it's proof positive that lockdowns work. Mm. You know, it's there's no other, there's no arguing with the numbers. The mm. numbers have fallen, and they've fallen quite dramatically. Mm. When we were having discussions about, oh, sorry, correlation yeah. does not equal causation. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. When we were, ha- <laughs> when we were having um, discussions about um, do lockdowns work, and we were trying to find countries that were similar, so that. The only thing different between them was whether they had a lockdown or not. 
and trying to use that as a best means of comparing. Well, I forgot to look at the situation where you've got a country that has a lockdown, stops a lockdown and restarts a lockdown. So the only thing different happening in the community is the lockdown. It's probably one of the better mm. sort of methods of determining. And um, I mean, Victoria's yeah. also gone to mandatory mask wearing, which I think would probably be useful for all of us on the eastern seaboard. Yes. Would you be yeah. willing to pay a fine if you stepped out of your home and a cop walked up to you and said, where's your mask? And you said, oh, I forgot to put it on. <laughs> Well, there's no fine. problem at all. You, you, really? You've broken the law, so you've got to oh, you've got to come pay, on, you've, got to, you've got to be fined. Come on, Scott. You're going to be fined if you if you step if you, if the law says you've got to wear a mask outside your home and you walk out without a mask on, oh, then you get Jesus fined. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we're we're heading hurtling headlong towards an authoritarian state. With you know, if if the rest of Australia mm. followed what's happening in Victoria, ah, mm. oh, Jesus, you'd you'd be mad to step outside your home. You know. Well, it's interesting the. The debate around um, dictator Dan yes. and, and Chairman oh, Andrews, yeah, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and um, I think it's and as I mentioned last week, I've started following Sky News on mm. Facebook and taking one for the team. Are you? Trying? I am, and it astounds me. The it's I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. My eyes pop open at the vitriol that comes out of these guys, like really nasty, abusive comments about Daniel Andrews and anybody of labour persuasion, or, and even liberals if they dare to be a little bit leftish along the way. Like it's nasty stuff. And when you look at the comments section, and Everybody has been riled up and they're rabid in these comment sections. Mm. So it's hardly surprising that um, our chief medical officers are getting death threats. It's, yeah, but those sorts of death threats, let's face it, they're a dime a dozen these days, aren't they? Everybody gets death threats. I'm surprised we haven't had death threats. <laughs> but, I mean, but, uh, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's all right, but my point is how that... Common, how common do you think they are? Just... Well, just about every celebrity gets death threats for. Yeah, something, but I, I do think do that they? the cops yeah. would actually death not threat. put her under twenty-four hour protection <laughs> unless they were seriously concerned about her safety. And, and that's probably quite appropriate. I, I, mm. I give you that, but um, I don't think we should overcook these death threats because a lot of them are just hot air, just people blowing off hot air. You know. I'm not saying that she shouldn't be given appropriate, you know, police. I, I think celebrities might get stalked by people who want to, you know. Oh, lots of them get death threats and rape threats and all kinds. Yeah, from crazies. There's lots of crazies out there, Trevor. You should go out and have a look sometime. I, I don't know how many <laughs> death threats are going on. Um, I, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. Nobody's done well, a study of measure. death threats. We Exa- can't measure exactly. it, can we? Exactly, but from what I'm observing, and you know, the plural of anecdote is not data. And what were the other things that we came up with? But mm. anyway, um, yeah, a lot of nastiness in those comment sections in places like Sky News. Not only in Sky and, News. Let's face it, the Guardian has plenty of pretty, you know, tough comments about the people that get on the wrong side of the writers in the Guardian. I would say it's a whole nother level of, really? yeah, nastiness. That would be my impression. And I invite the dear listener to um, look at both and, and decide what, 
Okay. Uh, I, what, I in, what, invite the, mm. the dear listener to mm. read the Guardian's uh, section mm. where the more radical left writers lurk. And there are a few of them. There are, you know, the Guardian has some very good writers, I'll, I'll give them that, you know. Mm. Uh, there are some very decent writers in the Guardian. Mm. But there are also some pretty hard left types as well and, and they don't hold back. Yeah. Well, my impression is when you look at it, it's a, a particular level of nastiness and we'll get onto it in a moment with Sky News. But before we do and we finish with lockdowns, I do want to say, um, d- just in relation to lockdowns, I mean, you might say that they're not worth the economic cost and you might say that they're not worth the lifestyle cost and you might say that other measures, measures are better or, you know, you could come up with all these things, but I think it's pretty clear that lockdowns, even though you may not like them, actually reduce infection rates. So but, does the atomic bomb. Y- yeah, and so that's you could say that. Other things work in addition, you could say that. But you, you can't really get beyond the point that stopping people from interacting stops the spread of a virus. It does. But what I reckon people who are sort of in the, um, oh, the anti-lockdown brigade or whatever, where they can sort of find some... Something to hang on to, I think, is what's happening in Sweden. Mm. Where that's very interesting, isn't where, it? Where they've had a large um, wave of you know that came in and you know an excessive of number, you know, a lot of deaths. Yeah. But it does seem now that what we thought herd immunity might need sixty percent. Here's the thing from the Australian: um, up to now, there have been five thousand. 838 deaths in per capita terms, the fifth highest death rate in Europe behind only Belgium, Britain, Spain and Italy. But it has also fallen substantially since the northern summer. Only seven people died with the disease in the past week. So it does seem to be that if you're prepared to accept a heavy hit in a wave, then the herd immunity and death rate yeah, might not might, be yeah. as bad. It's, mm. That's sort of based on what's going on in mm. Sweden. So for the people who want to argue against lockdowns and things, well, there's one area you could make some some arguments, but yeah. it does require you to accept the knocking off of a lot of people in exactly. an initial way. And that, that is, yeah. I think, something that Australia has not uh, would not be prepared to accept because we haven't been through that first catastrophic death wave that Sweden has been through. Yes. It, it's not just yeah. the deaths. Mm. It, the question is the long-term uh, Exactly, and that's of, something we don't know about. Mm. Yes, we don't know what the long-term impacts every, of this yeah. disease are. But yeah. every disease has side effects and other long-term yeah, effects. But, it's not know, just not, not in the same way that, you know, well, I, don't, fl- I, don't, flu I don't think you, that's true, Joe. Flu you recover from this, uh, the, well, way it, the way it attacks the... Um, it attacks every... Of organ in the body. Okay, but I heard a doctor talking today and he was saying, um, he was a British doctor, I think, and he said something like, I think it was less than half of the normal number of cancer diagnoses had occurred because for whatever reason people were staying away from hospitals to avoid getting COVID or they assumed the hospitals would be too busy to take them or whatever. And he said that will that will actually translate into several thousand more Premature deaths from cancer. But the problem with that argument is that if you remove lockdowns, the same thing still could happen. People will voluntarily not go out for their cancer tr- test. Quite so, possibly. So it doesn't actually – it's but, like the economic issue. Hmm. By, by opening up um, and removing a lockdown, 
still people have an inherent propensity not to go out. So you will still find people don't go for their their breast cancer screenings and things like that. That may be true, Trevor, but mm. I, I would assume people would be less likely to stay away from the hospital mm. if the government hadn't sort of incited great panic in the population See, by, they might be, by imposing a They lockdown. might be more likely to stay away from a hospital and their breast screening test okay. if they if they perceive that this out of control. Like can, it's arguable either, either way. It doesn't, we can speculate all over I, the shop. I, I, but I, That's my point yeah. is there's no, you know, it's, it, it's not actually clear that by removing a lockdown you fix that problem. Well, yes, but, I mean, his point was that the lockdown had precipitated a dramatic drop in the number of examinations for other diseases. But my argument is you could the virus did it because lockdown or not, the fear of the virus, you could argue, precipitated mm. that. So well, it could happen independently of the lockdown. Yeah. I'm inclined like, to think that the, the government lockdown has mm. incited a lot more fear mm. than mm. would have been the case otherwise. Anyway, um, if you're in the chat room, say hello. It's good to see you in there, Paul and other people who are making comments. Keep them coming. I'll keep half there an eye was on that. that um, comment. Can we just go back up there again? Uh, yeah. From... Yeah, no. No, uh, the one up here. It's, uh, yeah, v- Eric V. Yep. Is there any evidence they are immune to the virus afterwards, though? That's a very good question, Eric, mm-hmm. because you do have that situation, that guy from Hong Kong that has tested positive twice mm-hmm. and he's come back from Europe or something like that, was screened on his arrival back in Hong Kong, found to be positive, and he said, that's ridiculous, I've already had it. So, Yeah, yeah there's, there have been reports of people... Getting it twice. And seemingly mm. getting it twice. So, so. I, I did read that um, there's thoughts that it was actually a relapse of the original infection. Right. So it, rem- it's remained dormant in them mm. uh, and something has happened and, and it's flared up again. Mm. I thought that they had done some genetic testing on his virus and they'd found that it was a different virus strain. Possibly. I don't know. Anyway, look, if you're worried, just take some hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> Because, according to Sky News and Rowan Dean, editor of The Spectator Australia. um, But he doesn't write all the articles. Hydroxychloroquine. Let me, okay, dear listener, um, as I keep mentioning, um, I've been subscribing to it and listening to their shite and I'm going to subject you now to two minutes and 52 seconds of, of, uh, of, Andrew Bolt and Rowan Dean, and I apologise for this, but in, you need to get a grasp of what's happening over there on that channel. Here, here we go. Dear listener, during the live stream, the clip did not work, and over the next few minutes you'll hear me complaining about why it didn't work. But I'm going to play the clip for you now because it's important that you do hear it, and then you'll understand why we talk about not having heard the clip. But uh, here we go anyway. Now, this latest study. Just out. Says they're wrong, they're wrong. Hydroxychloroquine is effective, it's right in the title, is effective and safe for the treatment of COVID-19 and may be universally effective when used early before hospitalisation. Now, this one has been done by doctors from America's Rush University. They haven't done a test on the drug itself. What they've done is gone and checked the 43 studies that did do such uh, checks and they've found that 25 of those 43 studies say patients were helped. 13 found no effect and only three claimed 
there were so-called minor adverse events, but they weren't serious. In all three cases, (laughs) joining me is Rowan Dean, author, columnist, editor of The Spectator Australia, and presenter of Outsiders every Sunday on Sky at 9am. Rowan, um, this is culture war turned deadly. I mean, this could be one that is responsible for hundreds of deaths, particularly in Victoria. Can you explain it to me? Andrew, the jury is in. The jury is in, and the jury says very clearly, if you look at all the studies, the following is very clear. Hydroxychloroquine is consistently effective against COVID-19 when used early in the right combination with other drugs, and it should be universally available and universally it can be effective. And it goes on to say, this is the jury speaking. In other words, this is a study of all those studies. It goes on to say that it is consistently effective across all studies, and the only studies where it isn't are flawed. Now, Paul Kelly, stand up tomorrow next to the Prime Minister and say you are sorry because people are being denied this drug which potentially could save many, many lives. And Nick Coatesworth, who then repeated the Paul Kelly's comments, smeared Craig Kelly in the process, the one parliamentarian with the guts to stand up for the people of Australia in the federal parliament and say we must look at this drug as a potential lifesaver. He was then attacked by the man who, God heaven forbid, would ever be the health minister of this country, Chris Bowen, who then tore him down in parliament. Those three individuals, Paul Kelly, Nick Coatesworth, and uh, Chris Bowen stand condemned by this study. The jury is in and the jury says categorically hydroxychloroquine saves lives and Australians must be given access to this drug. And Brett Sutton in Victoria and Jeanette Young in Queensland who have criminalised this drug, they themselves stand thoroughly condemned. Uh, You couldn't have said it better myself and you're absolutely correct. I'm going to have to leave that. I'm going to have to tell you what he was saying. So there you go. You've escaped. It's okay in the chat room. (laughs) James Cridland says it's a sign, Trevor. That's right. (laughs) Look, um, basically uh, they both came out really pro-hydroxychloroquine and um, it was Andrew Bolt's show, so he was interviewing Rowan Dean. And this is what they do on Sky is they've got all these commentators who just interview, take it in turns to interview each other all the time. So, And nobody else does that, do they? I, they, they interview panellists on ABC. They get panels of people from all walks of life all the time. But uh, a lot of Sky is, um, is people... Um, Interviewing, interviewing each other Ooh. on their on their respective programs uh, happens a lot. Someone made the comment it's stuck in its echo chamber. Well, <laughs> I can think of several other programs that are a bit like an echo chamber, can't you? Uh, the uh, drum, for one. Yeah. Um, all I can say, Paul, is it, it from so. From my experience of watching these, though, yes, you can say there's bias on the left programs and there's bias on the right programs. Everybody has bias. But I perceive, and I don't have a scientific study to back it up. And Why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the level of uh, that they go to is something quite extreme. But anyway, hydroxychloroquine, Rowan Dean came on and said, the jury is in 
hydroxychloroquine is proven to be effective in the treatment of COVID and that um, the Chief Medical Officer in Victoria should resign in disgrace and the Chief Medical Officer in Queensland should resign, the Premier Dan Andrews should resign, the opposition health spokesman, Bowen, he should resign. This study that I've got here, and he's waving it in his hands, is a study of studies where we've where these people, well-respected doctors from Rush University in America, have looked at all of the studies of hydroxychloroquine and they've tallied them up and, and the jury's in. Hydroxychloroquine is effective and should be used. And um, so you listen to that and you go, wow, that's interesting. And... Um, I'm really, I'm really disappointed I can't play that clip because the, the level of vitriol. Yes, we want uh, to hear the vitriol. Yeah, I don't we? know what I've done there. I don't know why that's – anyway. Um, uh, you can always edit it in later. Yeah, I'm, actually, <laughs> I will. Good point. On the on – the, um, On the podcast. On yeah. the podcast, you can hear it. Really? So, But we won't hear it. So anyway, he waves we'll around the, the report and I then had to go onto Rowan Dean's Twitter – to see a link for it. The link didn't really send me to the, the actual report. So then I Googled and the only place I could find it was on the Palmer Foundation website. <laughs> oh, dear God in heaven. Which was a link to this um, to this article. Uh, this, um, Palmer the, Foundation? Yes. He has his own foundation. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. And, of Did course, you? he's very pro-hydroxychloroquine because he went and bought all that he's hydroxychloroquine. Gone a, he's gone and bought a whole heap of hydroxychloroquine, yeah. Yeah, which he said he was going to make yeah. a freely yeah. available and all that sort of well, shit. Well, he's a philanthropist, of yeah. course. No, he's not a philanthropist. He's <laughs> So I've got saying it. <laughs> I've got links here, and I'm just reading the heading. The headline of the study is: Hydroxychloroquine is effective and safe for the treatment of COVID-19, and may be universally effective when used early before hospitalisation. A systematic review, and uh, yeah, from a couple of guys from Rush University, and of course, dear listener. Meanwhile. We've got a national COVID-19 clinical evidence task force and they say don't use hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> it doesn't work and it can cause all sorts nasty of nasty side, side effects. effects yeah. Don't use it. So I got onto um, Deep Throat and said, um, Deep, have a look at these. Have a look at this for me. So, um, and he did very kindly and um, I'll talk about that in a moment, but... Basically, what it is is a um, uh, twenty uh, forty-three studies around the world where they've done some sort of treatment of hydroxychloroquine on people suffering COVID, and uh, this study has looked at those studies and tallied up the results, and so. Uh, and they've listed them all, and there's footnotes there that you can then actually go to those individual studies and look them up. I mean, who's got time to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Me, somehow. <laughs> because I just smell a rat. I think this just doesn't sound right. Like, this just doesn't sound right. So It was around before COVID, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was some I sort of chlorine, was, malaria it, treatment. Yeah, it's, it's been used as a malaria treatment. Oh, it's and, also and also. Used- for people with um, arthritis, my brother's got autoimmune. My brother's got rheumatoid arthritis, and he's 
on Facebook saying he's been taking this for 10, 15 years and never had a problem. You know, it's just one of those things that you think to yourself, okay, that's fine, but, you know, it's not – it's already been proven not to be safe. But it's not harmless and until we prove that it is effective against COVID, the risks of harming somebody are greater than the risks of potentially helping someone. Exactly. So – um, 43 studies. Should I take back my prescription? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, 43 studies and even according to the authors of this report, so they say 27 showed um, clinical improvement, but 16 showed no improvement at all. So even according to um, the reading of this study by these authors, you'd say it's got, a, you know, it's not a hundred percent success rate by any means. So, uh, to say that it's proven, even with this study, if you accepted that they're all great studies, uh, still a long way to go before it's proven. With sixteen of forty-three showing no signs of improvement. So, um, so what you need to understand when you're looking at these studies is there are studies and there are studies. So. What a lot of these studies in this report are, and I'll go through them just really briefly soon, but but most of them are retrospective observational studies where they're basically, after the event, looking at the results of a certain cohort of people in a hospital and and then drawing statistics out of that as they, as they see fit. And... Really, if you're going to try and prove whether a medicine works or not, you need to do it prospectively where you start at the beginning and sign everybody up and at that point uh, everybody knows we're signing up for this trial and you have a placebo, a control group, and you have it randomised and you have it such that neither the participants nor the medical people involved know who's getting the real thing. Mm. That's all kept secret until the end. If you don't do that, then you're not accounting for all sorts of inherent bias and all sorts of placebo effects. So so basically when looking at this um, study, first of all, it's not peer-reviewed. The authors, there's a Chadwick Podromus, he's the main author, He's an orthopaedic and regenerative medicine surgeon, like he's an orthopaedic surgeon. How dare he think his expertise would be relevant? His co-author is a Bachelor of Science on sabbatical. It's just, it's a strange thing for somebody with an orthopaedic background and who seems to have undoubted speciality in in fixing ACLs to suddenly end up in a, it's just odd, like alarm bells should be ringing. For somebody like Rowan Dean, if you're going to go on the TV and say this is the proof, the jury's in, and the people you're relying on is an orthopaedic surgeon and a guy in a gap year, like shouldn't you at that point say, I better look into this a bit more carefully? One would have thought so. You would have thought so. So um, I spoke to, as I said, to, um, Deep to, Throat. to Deep Throat and let me just see what he said that um, – a quick perusal, um, basically most of them were retrospective observational studies and when you look at them, 
the ones, there was only really three genuine ones with any numbers that were randomised, controlled with placebo and uh, and those were the ones that showed absolutely no benefit from hydroxychloroquine. Mm. So the rest were just rubbish studies. Mm. Some of them were um, 50 people, some of them 60. To give you an example of one of them here, um, the very f- so this is one of the studies that he's relying on. Um, long-term care facilities in New York looked at 54 patients, gave them hydroxychloroquine, observed the um, recovery. Um, so of the 54, six were transferred to acute care hospitals and three died. And in this study, they then compared that to the morbidity rates of a, long, of a, uh, of a uh, long-term care facility in Washington, not New York, a completely different state, just looked at the morbidity rate and said, well, these guys here in New York did better, so <laughs> hydroxychloroquine works. And that was counted as one of the ones to prove that hydroxychloroquine works. So um, it's really nonsense, wasn't it? Complete nonsense. And the vitriol that he came out with saying all these people should be resigned, it's a complete disgrace. He's clearly got a, an overwhelming agenda happening here with this. Maybe yeah. just like sounding off, you know. But I don't well, understand what the agenda would be. I mean, what possible advantages for him to go on Sky News ranting and raving about hydroxychloroquine. I mean, is he a shareholder in the company that produces hydroxychloroquine? Isn't it more about um, showing the people who are saying that it's useless, uh, uh, that the public health specialists up as idiots? It's more about undermining the the status quo. Yeah, good point. It's it's a sort of an anti-intellectualism in a Trumpish sort of way and – and these guys are actually really pro-Trump on this channel. Like, how just, could they be? Just <laughs> indeed, how? How? But yeah, really pro-Trump. So some of the listeners are going to yeah. think I'm pro-Trump now because I said that, right? Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to put in a disclaimer? So um, anyway, if you listen to the actual uh, podcast, recorded podcast, I'm going to slip in the. Um, the words of Rowan Dean, and you get a feel for just the nastiness that he uses when he's um, losing it. Yeah, and mm. you, you say, "Oh, well, he just likes sounding off." But I mean, put some people in front of a TV camera and just they let it rip. But, and and you're welcome to do that, Rowan. But <laughs> it just means you've lost all credibility. Why would anybody um, trust anything you say in the future about anything? And you, you couldn't. If, he, if he's referred to something, you'd have to go, well, now I've got to refer to the source material because I've lost faith in you. And that's my point a little bit on this is it's really hard now to know where the truth is on on topics. Shutdowns. Like COVID has really exposed that we've got people who would normally appear to be experts in a relevant field saying completely the opposite to other experts in the relevant field. Like we are getting epidemiologist-type people coming out with things quite different to what 
the chief but, medical but, officer but, is saying, for example. Yeah, well, you yeah, said yeah, last yeah, week that epidemiologists yeah, were a yeah, dime a dozen. Yeah. Are they? So, well, that's what Trevor said. Did I, oh, did I say that? Or yeah. jokingly, maybe. You're saying it jokingly, <laughs> right. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's just getting really difficult to – you can't accept – well, and, of course, looking at the looking at the comments again on this Facebook page um, – of course, nobody's got time to read this report and delve into it and examine it. And and you also need a certain level of skill to be able to understand statistics uh, to some extent to sort of work it out. Um, some of it's sort of obvious as common sense, but it's, you know, it's a matter of time. And um, you've just got to try, dear listener, find sources that you can trust and... Um, because you don't have the time to do this. It's really hard for people, I think, sure. now to find and reliable sources. And that's the job sources. of the TV commentator, supposedly, well, 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 yeah. is to check their sources and make sure what they're saying but, has some validity. Yeah, but we know we can't trust TV commentators. No, we know we can't trust many journalists. There's only just a handful that you can say I, you'll trust what they say is true. It's really difficult that you've got to go to the source material on all these things or... Throw your hands up, saying you G- don't know. Generally, the um, public health mm. officials—it's mm. not one epidemiologist mm. on their own. It's actually mm. a group, mm. uh, and it tends to be there will be on anything an outlier in a group of experts. Mm. And rather than listening to the outlier, it's listening to what the majority of the group of experts think. Yes, uh, you're right. I should take that back. In that, when you've got a, a like we do with our health professionals on this, you have to you have to be able to trust. Our our health people on this sort of thing. You'd like to, yeah, yeah. And oh. if there is a study presented that says they're talking complete shit, you really probably need to look at that study first and go, oh, let me read the fine print because you have to have as a starting point our professional health people are doing the right thing. But there's lots of things in life outside of that where it's getting really hard to tell where does the truth lie on stuff. So. Well, I think that you know you can mm. listen to the you can listen to your chief medical got chief health officers in each of the states. Mm. You know you can listen to them and that sort of thing because they I think they are telling the mm. they are telling the truth as close mm. as they can get to it. But they're, yeah, they're telling the truth as they understand it. Well, yeah, yeah. but but nobody has access to absolute truth, do they? So no, they I mean, it is relevant to listen to dissenting voices too. Well, I, I, yeah, the, the you can is... listen to them, but you shouldn't ever take. A, you shouldn't put too much faith in what the dissenting voice says. And, and, and there's a limit to how much you dissenting voice, the time taken to deal with each dissenting voice could be extraordinary. Like they can throw, it's easy to throw up red why, herrings and rubbish and it you, takes. Why would you believe anybody? One hundred percent, you wouldn't, would you? No, I mean, no. So, so uh, we we see this often with the anti vaxxers um, with the doctor who happens to be, uh, you know, a back surgeon or whatever, holding forth about epidemiology, and and the problem is, um, they may be raising valid points, but none of us have the expertise to be able to verify that. You have to have a, a relevant. Um, knowledge in the fields to even begin to understand whether they're talking crap or not. And that's the problem. Really, these debates should be held in professional forums amongst people who understand 
and then we accept the output of the professional forums rather than the argument being held in the free press mm. because the majority of us have no clue at, at what half these terms mean, let alone the the possible confounding um, influences. Like Bob Woodward's, you know, he's got himself into trouble because he was interviewing Trump and all that sort of thing and he apparently knew back in February that it was airborne and that Trump said it was a hell of a lot worse than the seasonal flu. Mm. And he's got himself into trouble because he didn't report that immediately. Mm. Now, there's a lot of people saying, well, had Trump had said go out and wear masks immediately rather than what the CDC was saying at the time because the CDC was saying, no, don't go out and buy masks. Keep those masks for the uh, frontline people and the professionals. I could understand the CDC saying that at the time but once they'd got their masks and everything, once they got their mask production and everything up to date, then the CDC should have actually said, well, we've had to change our position on masks. It's, it is a good idea for you to start wearing masks. Yeah. Isn't that what they did? Wasn't it kind well, of once they had enough masks, then they said That's probably what it. they did say then. Mm-hmm. But um, Which slightly undermines, undermines people's trust in them then, doesn't it? It does slightly undermine them. But, you know, what were they, mm-hmm. what were they to do? Were they supposed to say, yeah, everyone go out and buy a mask and then you're not going to have anything in the hospitals, mm-hmm. you know? So they were deliberately deceptive and now you're saying people should understand that they were deliberately deceptive for a very good they, reason. They were overly simplistic. Mm-hmm. Well, they, I mean, they didn't tell the whole story. Well, they didn't tell the whole story, but, you know, this is this is based on Donald Trump's conversation with President Xi who said that it is airborne. Everyone else at the time was saying you've got to wash your hands and all that sort of stuff because you've got to be keeping your, you've got to be keeping an eye on what you're touching. They didn't really know until a month or so into it that it was airborne. Mm. So, you know, that's that's where it's come from. But um, I, I do take your point, though, Paul. I can understand what you're saying, that they were being deliberately deceptive. Yes, I suppose you could, you could actually say that they were being deliberately deceptive mm. while they were getting their um, – PPE manufacturing up to up to speed. There's also the confusion. People think that the, the masks protect them, and they don't. They, it just they stops stop you, you from infecting. spreading it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They stop you infecting other they people. They don't give the wearer any protection at all? No. Zero. Oh, they may provide some, but very little. So the, the N95s, the, the stuff the, the hospitals wear, but the, the face masks, no. It's, it's all about stopping the spread of all... Um, uh, moisture particles, aerosols, yeah, mm. um, and and that's more about stopping you from spreading it rather than protecting you from other people. Mm. So anyway, when we've got um, death threats against the chief health minister, I think guys like Rowan Not Dean, minister, uh, chief health, health officer, officer. Uh, I think guys like Rowan Dean are uh, probably have a, got a, a a percentage of responsibility in absolutely. that sort of thing because they're really violent in their talk about how disgraceful it is that we're being deceived by these people, they should resign in disgrace and really whipping people up into a frenzy. So I think guys like this have got a lot to answer for and bloody Sky News and it's just going to tear this country apart. Um, I could say the same stuff. about other journalists and other stories, Trevor. I think I, I agree with you. Tr- journalists should exercise a level of responsible, you know, behaviour in terms of how they couch what they want to say. Mm. But if you, when you're saying they're speaking violently, you, mm. you're starting to sound like some of these hard leftists who say, you know, words are words are violence, which it isn't true. Let's be real. I think there's a link between 
the way he talks and and the sort of whipping up of people into into um into a kind of hysteria. And like, I mean, not like our government whipping up hysteria by calling an emergency in the state of Victoria, for goodness sake. I mean, when you look at the comment pages, you then are not surprised to hear that there are death threats because when you read things like, you know, that bitch has got no heart and, you know, um, they're, they're just fooling us, they're not, they're not listening to the real scientists, it's all a conspiracy, it's... it's um, you know, these sorts of things that he's feeding are um, dangerous. I agree. It's low-quality so, low journalism. Yes. And why does he have a job if, so, if that's his style? But be, Because his owner is happy for that. Who's his owner? Murdoch. Murdoch. Oh, the, he's, he's, the, the evil genius, yeah. Rupert Murdoch. You don't think he's an evil genius? I don't think he's a genius. I think oh, he's a genius. He's, like, a, he's even an evil genius. He's a cl- clever businessman for sure. <laughs> genius he's, is, he's taken, is a word I don't use that freely. He's taken a suburban newspaper in Adelaide. Yeah, but he inherited it from his freaking father. You, well, you inherit a suburban newspaper in Adelaide and end up in his position well, now. Good, and, and, and He's a competent and, businessman and, for sure. And basically he decides in the Western world... Uh, US, Australia, the UK, who gets elected? I mean, you don't get elected without without enormous luck unless you're in favour of Rupert Murdoch. It's just the way it he works. Has so, for sure. <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah. So anyway, a dangerous practice, and and so in the past, I've been complaining about your Spectator articles. You have. Yeah. Unfairly, I would say. (laughs) And Rowan Dean is the editor of The Spectator Australia. And I think... He doesn't write the articles. But what does an editor do? Oh, come on, Trevor. I... You know, I read from a range of different journals, including Mm. The Guardian, including the ABC, including the Sydney Morning Herald, sometimes The Australian, if I can get access to it, but I don't pay for that one. Uh, And... I judge an article yeah. by what I'm reading, not by who owns the, you know, or who who is the general editor. I I judge it by the content. But but here's my point: is what what does an editor do except set the tone oh. and the direction of the publication? Well, isn't that what an editor does? Okay, so the editor clearly of uh, the Spectator, for example, thinks it's okay to criticise both Corbyn and. Boris Johnson, because that's what they do. They criticise everybody. And that's what I like. I like a journal that is not afraid to criticise any politician, any famous person from whatever party, and that's exactly what they do. I don't think they criticise the right in what the is spectator. The right? What is the right? The, the, Boris the, Johnson, do you think well, Boris Johnson? about Australia, for just beginners, okay. with, with Rowan Dean as... You don't think you've never read anything in the Spectator criticizing the Australian government? I couldn't. Well, for a start, I don't subscribe, so I can't read all of the articles. But I can. The ones you sent that I get to see is my sample, and I also more. And you can sort of you can see snippets and headlines, and sort of gather from that what's likely the article is about. Mm. And here's my proposition: is that 
with Rowan Dean as the editor of The Spectator Australia, he would set a tone and he would tell his journalists the sorts of things that he wants in his newspaper. I don't think it works like that, frankly. What what does an editor do then? Well, I don't know exactly what an editor does, but having read The Spectator for some period of time, Mm. I just cannot see one person's mind in all the different articles. I just just can't see it. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm blind, but I've seen lots of – I originally subscribed to the British Spectator, Mm. not Mm. the Australian one, and then Mm. I discovered, oh, I can get access to the Australian one too. Mm. And um, But anyway, I started off reading the British one Mm. because I was interested in what was going on in the UK Mm. and Europe Mm. in general. And – Guess what? They criticise everybody over there. And that's the way it should be. That's, that's good journalism. You know, hold everyone to account. That's if, what if, I only, like. if only that was the case. It I is see, the case. I, 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 the Spectator Australia, well, we'll have to do a study. I'll have to pay for a month's subscription and tally up what I consider to be a pro-right uh, or a pro-left article and see what it tallies up to. Forget that, about that pro-right and pro-left would that be, article. Would that, Trevor, be, would that have any meaning? Why not Why not judge each oh. article by its content rather than what, whether you think it's pro-right or pro-left? Pro-right or left is, it's nonsense. You know, it's this sort of binary thinking that, you know, people think I'm on the good side or I'm on the bad side, you know. It's, but, it's but when it silly. Comes, when it comes to trust, like we don't have time to trust, to, to, to look at the sources of everything we read. That's why we get educated, so, isn't so, it? That's no. why we have university education no. so that we can no. develop our, you know, critical faculties. But, but, no, my point is a university-educated person could hear Rowan Dean on Sky News saying the jury's in, hydroxychloroquine is proven by the study to mm. be effective, and they would go, well, okay. Yeah, some would. I agree. So because they don't have the time. So it's it's about whether you can trust an organisation and I think he's setting... So from my observation, I'd say that the Australian and the UK spectator are very biased. It looks to me like the US version is not nearly as biased. They're which all is biased. Everything is biased, of Trevor. Course, of the Guardian of, is biased. Of, the ABC is biased, of, for goodness of sake. Of course they are, but you can't actually trust even the facts of... Of a Rowan Dean, like when he tells you, "Here's a report that says X," and in fact it says Y. That's more than just bias. Like yeah. if he if he gives an opinion and he says, "In my opinion, the Labor Party is shit and the Liberal Party are great," you can go, "Well, okay, that's your opinion. Yeah. I hear it's an opinion. I judge whether I want to believe that opinion or take it on board." But when you pulling out facts and you're saying this report says X and, in fact, it says Y, that's when I have a real problem and you have to really with that sort of organisation say, well, I can't trust you. And you obviously don't. And I'm I'm imploring you not to is is what I'm saying. Look, I I want to put your your mind at rest. You don't need to worry about me. I'm perfectly capable of making up my own mind. Right. (laughs) So don't worry about me, Trevor. Um, I don't read articles based on whether I think they're right or left. I read them and I assess the content and I think, you know, is that point of view valid? You know, mm. are those facts believable? Mm. You know, I'm not sitting there thinking right, left, right, left. Mm. That's not the way I operate. Mm. Okay, so that's the way Myrtle And look, I I just don't accept what you're saying about the editor because 
I just cannot believe that, you know, all the, all the journalists who work for The Spectator, whether it's Australia or the UK, that they're, they're so docile, such drones for Murdoch that they just sit there and say, oh, what do you want me to write this week, sir, you know? Really? They're not like really? that. Really? No, you really? You really, really give them too little credit really? for personal autonomy really? and intellectual integrity. Um, if you're a journalist and you need to feed your family and... Oh, here we go. They're all intimidated by their employer. Indeed. I just don't buy it. You don't actually believe in... Uh, you don't like Noam Chomsky's manufacturing consent, do you? You, just, oh, look, you, just, I, you don't I, agree I with that? I, no. You don't I, agree with his thesis? No, look, it's so long since I've seen that book. Mm. That was like when I was 20 or something I came mm. across that book. Mm. I don't even remember yep. how much I read you, you of it. You see, uh, if you're in, say, a, a newspaper like The Australian and you start producing work that is against the culture of The Australian you will find that you don't get promoted Possibly. and you don't get moved into positions that you'd like to, mm-hmm. so you move on to a different newspaper. Or if you're of a type that really wants to write left-wing articles, you don't even apply for The Australian. So to some extent, the editor doesn't have to walk down the room and stop at the desk of each journalist and say, by the way, I need another right-wing article today. But when people give them credit, go, well, the organisation I'm working for has a certain flavour and if I don't give them the flavour they want, I'm either not going to progress or I'm not going to be around longer. So so that that I I accept that there's something in what you say. The the general tone, yes. And and Rowan Dean would would be setting a tone in The Spectator Australia in line with his hydroxychloroquine rubbish. And um, if you're not prepared to work within that tone, you wouldn't be there. I haven't so, read anything about so, hydroxychloroquine yeah. uh, recently, yeah. but I've read yeah. quite a lot of other articles and mm. I didn't get the feeling that mm. Rowan Dean was mm. standing over their shoulders as they wrote. Okay. So you, you posted an article by this Declan Mansfield about um, Black Lives Matter and comparing them to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a good article, wasn't it? So, did you think it was? I really did, yes. And I was, right. I was a bit shocked right. that you thought it was so uh, aberrant. Right. So, what Black Lives Matter shares with the Nazis is an economic philosophy that is essentially socialist. No, no, it was a bit more than that, Trevor. Um, what did he say? It has reintroduced race into politics in a way not seen since Nazism. Dead right. It's, 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 intru- it's introduced. Look, I'm not going to quibble with every word in the article. I'm, I'm not for a minute. Well, which say, one are you quibbling with? Well, I just told you. What Black, what Black Lives Matter shares with the Nazis is a worldview that blames others for real or imagined justice, comma, an economic philosophy that is essentially socialist. Well, that's true. The, the, Black the, people, Lives yeah, Matter. The, the founders of Black Lives Matter are publicly in favour of a sort of Marxist state. Black, Black Lives Matter as a movement is not – people aren't marching in the streets with Black Lives Matter with a socialist agenda. Yeah, but he was, he was talking about the, you know, the core of the movement, I believe, no, well, well, rather than the – all the innocent, you know, all the other people out in the street marching for racial no, justice. No, he's talking about the movement. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, the movement founded by three 
If he Black wants to American talk about movement. the leaders, he should say the leaders. But he's talking about the movement and saying it's essentially socialist when it's just a movement of people who are observing police violence and they're out in the street protesting against it. Like it's got nothing to do with an economic philosophy. But it has a lot to do with a racial philosophy, doesn't yeah, it? It's got race in there and I'm Absolutely. okay on that. Really? I, I, yes, of course I, I'm okay with his argument that what the the fundamental flaw in Black Lives Matter is it has accentuated racial differences mm. rather than brought people together as that's a class. Right. Yes. And that's the whole point is Black Lives Matter is actually anti-socialist because rather than addressing the problems of society as a class, which would be socialism, it's it's actually addressing them via racial subgroups. So it's actually the opposite of socialism. But you're saying social, are you suggesting socialism is the only solution to, you know, human social inequity? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is that by drawing in a sort of Black Lives Matter, a, 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 a socialist, it's, I think it's, you're getting a little bit uh, obsessed by that one word because the the rest of the article is about the basic, basically the the racialized element of the of the article. Did you read the rest of the article? I did. I did. Look, here's another line: What Black Lives Matter shares with the Nazis is a worldview that blames others for real or imagined injustice. Well, An economic well, philosophy. Well, yeah, well, that's right. But, that you read that. But but hang on. What the Nazis was about was a. Just a, a power grab. It was a bit well, more than that, true. Well, well, it wasn't. Yes, it was. It was a whole well, lot look, more than just a power grab. Come on. It's it's a power grab. The like, Nazi regime was just about a power grab. Absolutely it was. Oh, come it, on. It, no, it, like, it, it, it that's the, so it, simplistic. It threw out the Weimar Republic to take control of the country. Now, the Jews were a scapegoat for Germany's problems. Yes. So they picked on them. That's right. And they also um, attacked unions and trade unionists and they also attacked liberals and communists and socialists. Hmm. Now that is the, the... They just attacked anyone who was in the way. Yes, but it wasn't group. just about getting power. It was about implementing, implementing a socio-political um, uh, agenda is what it was about. led to them gaining and maintaining power. It was a lot more than just about power. Oh stuff. no, I think it was. A, I think it was all about power. You, you should read more. About the, the, the final solution because was I mean, that's out. just simplifying it to the to a ridiculous level. You got to you got to simplify everything down to a. No, you don't. You do have to simplify everything down. Why? Because if you don't simplify it down, if you've always said that there's always this myriad of excuses so the and that sort of things, can understand it. Well, there's also that, but you've also got oh, to simplify God. things so that you can understand where it's come from. That's too simple. It was a, about a lot more than just getting power, Scott. Hitler was obviously a you know a, a power obsessed megalomaniac, megalomaniac yes, yeah. but it wasn't just about power. He had a vision. I mean, a distorted and bizarre vision for most of us now. But he had a vision of creating this sort of uh, you know Aryan utopia. It was a lot more than well, just well, getting Well, he was a power. nationalist, so he wanted power exactly. for himself and his people. Yeah, he was a kind of racial so, nationalist. So, so, but it wasn't a version of socialism. I didn't say it was. Well, that's what this guy is saying in this article. 
There are elements of socialism in it, let's be real. Like what? In the Nazis like or in Black Lives Matter? Uh, in the Weimar Republic, uh, my understanding is they had massive unemployment and, and social dysfunction. He put people back to work. I'm not singing the praises of Hitler, that's, don't that's, get me that's wrong. That's capitalism, putting people but to he, work. He that's did, not... sorry, he did put people to work. He did get industry happening again. He he created a, a new car, the Volkswagen, which we all know and love, and, you know, built autobahns across Germany. He got people working again, and that's probably why for a few years at least and until he started invading other countries, probably most Germans thought he was doing a decent job, you know. Yeah, but those autobahns were used to transport troops across They were used Germany. for everyday things, yeah, I know, they Scott. Were also Come on, used they weren't just used team. to transport the military. Well, normal Germans were driving along them every day, you know. Yeah, but what was the car ownership rate like in Germany? I have no idea. It was probably not anywhere near what it is. But he did build Volkswagen specifically. I know, Volkswagen. It would be an affordable car for the ordinary ordinary German family. I know, that's why it was called Volkswagen, which means people's car. Exactly. Does that not sound a bit socialist to you? That, just, but it was Volkswagen was not government owned. It was it was a private owned no, organization. The fact just that calling he, something the people's car does that not, he no produced he, by wealthy industrialists does not sound like socialism to me. It's like Trevor, you 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 you're getting off the track. My point is that cars up until that point were probably on the whole out of the reach of the average working person, right? So he deliberately wanted a car created that was simple and cheap to build so that it could be mass-produced and rolled out and sold to the average German working family, okay? That sounds a bit like socialism to me. He, he, wanted, he wanted capitalist enterprises to build cheap cars. You, under that score, Henry Ford was a socialist. Is, well, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm not saying anything about Henry Ford well, at all. But, but, I'm but, saying but, that... That's the equivalent. That's, that's well, the equivalent. Well, you're saying Henry Ford's a socialist. No, I'm not. Because he designed cars to be used by – he produced cheap cars for the public so that everybody would have a car. Well, well he's a socialist. You might that. claim that there's something socialist in that and, and I would probably accept that. Henry no, Ford, no, no. yeah, did no, produce Henry, cars that were affordable by ordinary people, didn't he? That's, that doesn't make it socialist. Doesn't it? No. Socialism is is government ownership, ownership and of, 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 you know moving oh, capital. Socialism into doesn't the hands have to be all government ownership, does it? Oh, I think it does. It doesn't Why? have to be all. It doesn't have to be all. Exactly, and that's but, my point. But what could private, be more capitalist than Henry Ford? Private enterprise if, if, can produce if, things if, at a cost that ordinary people can afford. If if if, if Henry Ford is socialist, then any, anything is socialist. I didn't say he was. But it's he, what he the the thing you described with the cars yes. is the same. It was so, the people's car. It right. was deliberately designed and built to be accessible and affordable to the ordinary German family. I mean, let's face it, the, the Weimar Republic... The Commodore was designed that way. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Just because to make it sell. That's capitalism. Capitalism has, has a role to play, for sure. Okay, I've got a link because to an article. Capitalism works. Dear listener, it produces things. Uh, just before you go, yeah. I, I can't remember who it was that was writing in this when he was disputing that. But what he said was that with the historic fact that everyone who um, argues this has ignored is that the key ally was the Soviet Union, and that is a Marxist Bolshevik state. That was what 
was actually turning on National Socialist Germany. Sorry, I don't get your point. Well, the point is that if it was socialism, as this guy argues, then they would never have picked a fight with the Bolsheviks, would they? Why not? Can, can I just quote a bit? I've got an article here, dear listener. You can Why? look at it in the show notes. Matthew Fitzpatrick is a social professor of international history at Flinders University. A. Dirk Moses is professor of modern history at the University of Sydney and the author of German Intellectuals and the Nazi Past. So in this article, um, I think actually they were looking at um, this particular article from The Spectator. I can't recall now because it's a while since I wrote these notes. But um, under Hitler, the party looked squarely to the middle classes and farmers rather than the working class for a political base. Hitler realigned it to ensure that it was an anti-socialist, anti-liberal, authoritarian, pro-business party particularly after the failed beer hall putsch of 1923. The socialism in the name National Socialism was a strategically chosen misnomer designed to attract working-class votes where possible, but they refused to take the bait. The vast majority voted for the communist or social democratic parties. A bit further on, for their part, businesses welcomed the Nazis' promises to suppress the left. Uh, Hitler and Goering met with a large group of industrialists when Hitler declared that declared that democracy and business were incompatible and the workers needed to be dragged away from socialism. He promised bold action to protect their businesses and property from communism. The industrialists, including legal leading figures, um, Farben, Hoche, Grupp, Siemens, Allianz, and other senior mining and manufacturing groups, then contributed more than 2 million Reichmarks to the Nazi election fund, um, Business leadership happily jettisoned democracy to rid Germany of socialism and to smash organised labour. So that's according to those authors. So, And you think Stalin didn't crush labour unions or totally control them? I mean... But hang on a second. We're talking about an article in Spectator that yeah. is saying Black Lives Matter oh, yeah. are, you're, you're t- are referring are to this article. socialists... The one by Fitzpatrick and Moses? Is that the one no, you're looking at? No, it wasn't Fitzpatrick and Moses. Oh, no. I'm looking at the wrong was, one. So the article in The Spectator by Declan Mansfield mm-hmm. that talks about Black Lives Matter, I like the Nazis and share an economic socialist philosophy. and That was just it, one part of it, Trevor. No, you, because, you, because... You're actually, obsessed with that no, particular not, line. I, actually, if, I, if, if you read his article, he's trying to... Um, um, basically uh, criticise any sort of collective endeavour. And that's what I objected to. So he, he caricatured the Black Lives Matter movement into something that it isn't, straw-manned them. Mm. I, I thought it was a terrible article. That's, that's okay. my point. So when you say, oh, Trevor, I read articles, yep. I take them on their merits, Yep. I don't start with who the editor is or who the newspaper is mm. or whatever, and I go, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But that particular article, I've looked at those particular aspects of it and I've gone, I think that's a shitty article. You're entitled to your opinion, Trevor. I am. And it is just that. Mm. But I've You're got good giving reason. an opinion. It's but not about facts at all. True, but I've got some good reasons. So And others have. He, had, he has good reasons for writing it as he did and, you know, 
I mean, he makes some other good points. He says, nothing but injustice follows the reintroduction of race into politics, which is what the great champions of racial equality like Martin Luther King, a hero of ours, Nelson Mandela, another hero of ours, knew and tried to instill in their disciples. If he stopped there, I'd agree with him 100%. If he stopped there, I'd agree with him 100%. Okay, let me just finish this. Yeah. Whether whenever we privilege the collective over the individual, mm. tribe, culture, sex, class, nation, or race, injustice in all its dreadful manifestations follows. Yes, that's so. You I, agree with him? No, I agreed with his first sentence. You don't yeah. agree with that sentence? No, really? We, no. Where he goes about where we privilege the collective over the individual. Injustice in all its dreadful manifestations follows. Yes. We the mob. Remember the mob. No, uh, <laughs> civilization. Remember it. Like you know, it's collective behaviour that got us into a civilized society. Okay. So he and the he, collective behaviour of he, he, the great the, inventors and philosophers—they were all working in collectives, weren't they? Well, when you look at the iPhone. I'm not talking at, about the iPhone. I'm talking, talking about, about the European Enlightenment. You're talking about inventions. The European Enlightenment. Every, the invention of the steam engine. Every, the invention of electricity. Every major significant part of the iPhone was actually invented by public universities and public facilities. I believe It that. was not done through private enterprise. It, it yeah. actually occurred out of the collective. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but the, 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 the iPhone, so, let's face it, is just another of myriad products in the modern, you know, industrial landscape. And every inventor built upon the knowledge of the scientists who came before him. Yes, but you know, Newton wasn't working in a collective, was he, when he wrote his? But his he was great standing on the on shoulders physics. of of the. That was a metaphorical ethics. statement. But it's true. No, he wasn't it, working in a collective. He was working alone. But, but, but when you... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Trevor, admit it. Some people create, do great things by themselves too. Everything great doesn't require a collective. Uh, but this, this, he didn't pluck this out of thin air. Who? Newton. I, all, no, all, of course not. All of these individual people may have been great individuals. Yeah, that's a cumulative effect. Uh, absolutely. It's not a collective. It's not the same thing. But but I, I working Come together on. as a society. No, no, it's not a collective. Trevor's talking but, about it, groups of people working together as a collective. Newton was not a collective. He was an individual. You brought up inventions and about how inventions come about through individual endeavour, and yeah. I've given you examples in the sense of Apple and in the sense of historical... Um, I don't consider um, the iPhone a, 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 an iconic invention, to be honest. Okay. So getting back to this article, though, where he says, where we privilege the collective over the individual, that's where he goes wrong. Like he's taken, he's taken okay. as if collective behaviour is always dreadful. Whenever we He didn't say always. He says, whenever we privilege the collective over the individual, and he lists six different examples... Mm-hmm. Injustice in all its dreadful manifestations follow whenever we privilege the collective. Mm, okay, maybe like, that's this a bit is a rhetorical. Hyperbolic piece of nonsense. It is a this. little bit hyperbolic in that in that sense. Yeah, but his so, point still holds true. So, well, we have to beware of collective madness. You know, no, he's not making a point about. Collective well, he is actually. Well, if he's, BLM. That's what he's writing about. He's he's no. talking about where mobs of people get together, mm. thinking 
that they're on the side of right and good and justice and they're doing, you know, they're, they're marching for a good cause. And, you know, a lot of people have made the point, we're all against racism these days. How many of us here think racism is a good thing? None of us, obviously. And that's why so many people say Black Lives Matter, they're marching against racism. Yes, that's, that's something I agree with. And so people go out in the streets and they think they're marking, they're just marching against racism, which is a bad thing. Okay. We all agree it's okay. a bad thing. So a good article would have pointed these people out as misguided in relying on identity politics and how the leaders like Martin Luther King focused on, on, on equality for all rather than special rights for special groups. But he wants to go further and compare them to the Nazis and 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 this collective endeavour, I just think he goes way over the top. Okay. So, you're, you're entitled to think he mm, goes over the so top. So in my opinion, it's a terrible article. You think it's a good one? I think it's a good I've, one because I, it makes, you know, it, it brings to light the fact that mobs can be very dangerous. Well, he doesn't bring to light that. He just he just says it. All right. So. How can Black Lives Matter be dangerous? I mean, even if you take it to your original, you said it was out there trying to argue against racism. That's, that's why it's dangerous. Okay, Scott. so why is that dangerous if they're actually because out there racism is a, an abhorrent mentality, an abhorrent attitude. So what's wrong with them protesting against it? It's not. Because they're encouraging racialized thinking. They're saying, they're basically saying it's all about white people, those horrible white people. And, you know, let's be real. Black, why is it black lives matter, not just lives matter? It's a, ra- it's a racist organisation. So there's a, a modern way of thinking that says not being racist isn't enough. You have to be anti-racist. You have to examine your every motive. You have to look at everything through the privilege, the, through the lens of privilege. Yeah, that's what they um, would like us And to so consequently everything is about race. Nothing nothing can be, you know, um, a cigar can't be just a cigar. No. It, it's very Freudian in its thinking, it's except a, instead of it's about sex, it's about race. Yeah. So every action you take is a racist action. Yeah. And do you, you don't buy that, do you? Jim? No, no, no. I, I, I think this is not helpful. That's what I think. I, I, I think um, this idea of victimhood. Yes. Um, it's insidious and it's, it's infiltrating every aspect of our of our public institutions now. You know, judges are afraid not to come down on the side of the victim, you know. Oh, for goodness sake, you know. It's, it's all about everything has to be racialized, and this is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. told us not to do. He said, take race out of it. And, and, our- and I, I agree with that, and I agree with whenever he makes that point in the article. It's the rest of the crap that he throws in okay. there that totally... Uh, ruins and takes away All from right. I mean, what is to... what is a legitimate point. I t- look, I take yeah. your point, Trevor. Mm. Maybe maybe that was an ill-judged um, aspect of the article. I don't, mm. I, I don't agree mm. with you, but mm. I take your point. I just mm. think that the whole thing about trying to compare the Black Lives Matter movement to Nazism was ridiculous. Mm. Have you read you know, the article? I have read it. It didn't Good. make any sense. None at all? Well, it made a little bit of sense, but not a hell of a lot of sense. Hopefully a little bit, Scott. Sorry? Hopefully mm. a little bit. Mm. 
I did not take anything from the comparison with Nazism because that okay. was just a nonsense. It right. made no sense whatsoever. But <laughs> did you um, agree with the part about Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela? Absolutely, yes. Urging people, mm. for goodness sake, don't racialize mm. society. Mm. And what are they doing now? And I hear it's, it's bad in South Africa precisely because the ANC, after Nelson Mandela passed on, the ANC very promptly went about racialising everything and giving privilege to black Africans at the expense of white and, and what they call Cape Cullets. Yeah, but when a country is um, fatally flawed for a long time, it, it creates inherent problems that are extremely difficult to solve. Yes. And you see that in South Africa. Absolutely. And you see it in the United States today. We sure do. And so, Black Lives Matter are not so, helping. So, um, so um, they're doing precisely the opposite of what is needed. What they're doing is understandable. But it would be much better if they're doing the Martin Luther King walk where they were saying that's right. That would be much better. If we had a if we had a Martin Luther King walk in in Brisbane, mm. I'd be there. Right. Absolutely. Mm. But Black Lives Matter, I won't be there. Mm. Will you? No. <laughs> Why not? Uh, uh, for, for the reason that I have an issue with, I see it as divisive mm. and instead of, a, a, you know, addressing the real issue of a, of a class yeah. battle. I'm with it, you on It that. is breaking up the, the class into into little divisions of ethnic yeah. groups. So I'm, that's, I'm totally so, with you. I so, mean, people have... So that's why I won't march con, with them. But I understand, what, understand what they're doing and they yeah. don't need to be demonised like... Um, like as if they're Nazis. Uh, yes. Like calling everyone <laughs> Hitler. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, it's all part of this demonising of socialism to try and drag the socialism into being Naz, Nazism. So people say... Oh yeah, I'm in favour of socialism, democratic socialism. People go, "What? You, you like Hitler? Like it's it, no seriously? Well, that's what that's what these Don't sorts of articles you're, are intended. You're like Mao or Stalin? That's what these articles are intended to do. They set a tone that socialism okay. must be Nazism. And Claire Lehman, editor of Quillette, said, "Oh, well, doesn't everybody know that? Oh, you've got something there." Well, she didn't I, say that? I think she is uh, unfairly she, defamed. She didn't People, say that. I mean, somebody in this, and, and this was an article I came across from your, I think the notes you sent us. Right. And it's uh, a couple of guys who are associate professor of international history at... Yeah, that's the ones I quoted before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they, they describe Claire Lehman as the, uh, some, some sort of poster child of the right, which is yeah. absurd. She's right. not at all right wing. Right. She's a classical liberal. I've heard her speak. I've heard her speak several mm. times, you know, not on YouTube, mind so, you. So not did she like, say that about socialists and Nazis? No, she's described herself as a classical liberal. Right, but which but, is not right wing. Okay, but they quoted her as saying something. Was that not true? No, they they described her. They didn't quote her. They described yeah, they, they quoted her. her. Did they? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, I what see. Did, the part. What's the quote? But look, what's it says. Quote? Did you just read it? Okay, it says uh, they've been. Buh, 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 buh. Nazism is national socialism, which is considered a branch of socialism. Claire Lehman, founder of Quillette magazine. And this is the part I object to. Fashionable blog of the right-wing commentariat. Mm. It isn't. I think it is. Oh, God, Trevor. 
you're obsessed with everything being right wing. I read no, Quillette. No, no. You, do you read Quillette? Do you uh, read Quillette, yeah. Joe? Does it strike you as right wing? I've read the odd article, but I don't oh, read it. Regularly. I read it regularly. It's not and they feature as, it's our friend, as spectator. our friend Coleman Hughes. In, he's a regular on Indeed. Quillette. Yeah. You think he's right wing? No, I rest my case. But I didn't say it. It doesn't have to be all. It doesn't have to be hundred percent. I don't uh, think I've ever seen any that I would describe as right wing. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. So, what did she say, um, Claire Lehman? I thought everybody knew this already. We we don't know if you know we don't know if uh, she's being quoted out of context. I mm. I just don't know. Mm. Mm. Anyway, but she doesn't strike me as right wing mm. at all. Mm. She strikes me as a very middle of the road classical liberal. Mm. Well, I reckon we've probably been going long enough. Have we? <laughs> you mean you and I've been going long enough? One hour and twenty seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Okay. Uh, One hour and seventeen minutes actually. Next week. Tibetan sovereignty Yay. and the American-Mexican war. Yeah, liberate Texas. Yeah, because when you talk about um, China's um, aggressive foreign invasions over the over the centuries, mm-hmm. is it mainly Tibet that you as sort of your no. key one? No, no, what's your what's your key sort of aggressive? The Han Chinese, yes. who make up ninety percent of the population, mm. they started in the Yellow River Valley and the Yangtze River Valley. Mm. That's that's their home. Home turf. Yes. And over the centuries they spread out. Yes. And invaded and occupied and controlled mm. literally dozens of minority ethnic uh, areas right. around their sort of home base. It reminds me of another group who started off on the Mayflower and they just sort of spread out in a similar fashion, but that's another another story. How far do you want to go back? <laughs> well, that's, not, I mean, that's the point, isn't this it? This is the story yeah. of human history, isn't that, it? Well, that's the point is... When you talk about the aggressive okay. Chinese foreign sort of... And, and surely power. how you do it counts, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. And I'm not yeah. saying that invading Mexico and taking yeah. it yeah. by force was a good thing. Yeah. But yeah. there's no denying that the Chinese have aggressively occupied mm. other people's land. Right. So this is more an ethnic Han group taking over. Yeah. Uh, how, how far back is that? Like is that... Oh, is that Thousands of years. Right. Okay. I mean, they, it's been a very sort of martial culture for a long, long time, Chinese culture. Right. I think that... Um, okay, next week for yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I'll hold fire till next week. Next week. You've so. seen Kung Fu Panda, haven't you? No. <laughs> Dear listener, got some topics you want, to dis- want us to discuss? Send us an email or send us a message. Um, send us a voicemail message would be good. Uh, thanks to Steve uh, for the beer. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you much, Steve. Steve. That was a very nice drop. If enjoyed that, uh, thank you to the patrons who support. Lost a few lately, so <laughs> if you're think? thinking of uh, supporting, oh, really? it'll be good. So mm. yeah, so uh, if you've been listening, twenty twenty five episodes, and you're enjoying it, please sign up as a patron because um, I think Joe's got his eye on some audio equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> has he. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And okay. And we're definitely going to do some Zoom calls next week. I think it'd be good if you've got, if you'd like to be like to Zoom in and argue something. How about this? Then send me an email with a bit of a one paragraph about the concept that you want to argue or discuss, and um, 
and then let's we'll put you on a list for tomorrow uh, for for next week. That would be good, and we can zoom in and have some interaction. See how that goes. That'd and be... let's not just use the uh, opportunity to attack Paul. Right. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Scott. Yes. So ideas, please. So yeah, play the ideas, not the man. Thank right. you. Yeah. All right, dear listener, thank you for your attention. Thanks in the chat room for all of your comments. Um, it was a spirited debate yet again. It thank was, you, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank See you. Thank you very much for tuning in. Bye now. See you next week. See Bye. See everyone. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.